Hello and welcome to the Formula Scout podcast. Today, myself and Joshua Satil are going to review the Formula 2 season. This year marked a momentous year within Formula 2 as the Grand Prix, um, well, the Grand Prix world celebrated a championship for Schumacher for the first time since 2004. We had 12 rounds, 24 races, lots and lots of drivers appearing, lots and lots of action, lots and lots of drama and controversy, and we're here to discuss all of it. So Josh, I think first of all, are you sort of relieved just to get the, the Formula 2 season done and dusted finally? <laughs> A little bit sad, really. I mean, it's been such a good season. Um, it's In terms of driver quality, it's been one of the highest yet. Um, and the excitement as well has just been huge, hasn't it? Every single round, there seems to be a different twist or a different controversy or a different, you know, brilliant moment. Um, lots of unexpected stuff. I mean, you only have to look at our pre-season predictions. Some idiot even put Marcus Armstrong to win the title. So, you know, it has turned out uh, in a very, very surprising way, but in a very, very brilliant way as well. Uh, I think what was almost great as well was that um, Formula 2 supported, what, 12 of the 17 Formula 1 rounds. So we probably got more Formula 2 by percentage um, to Formula 1 than ever before. So I'm certainly in favour of that. Um, that was really, really good. And um, I think a lot, a lot more people seem to tune in this year, not just because of the Schumacher name, um, because I think people are finding out that actually uh, it's a pretty good series. Mm, yeah, certainly. Uh, can definitely... Um advocate for that um I, I do think that sort of like after the the whole nine weekends within 11 uh thing that we had earlier in the year with, with formula three as well it was nice to have a a bit of a break and then it was just absolutely well everything pretty much happened at bahrain but we'll get onto that later but we'll, we'll start with um the calendar really because obviously you know what had a bit of an impact on, on the calendar. As we mentioned, we had 12 rounds, but the rounds that we lost um, were the Zandvoort round, which was supposed to return this year, uh, Monaco, Baku, and Yaz Marina. But in exchange, we gained extra, ra extra races at the Red Bull Ring and at Silverstone. Plus, we also visited Mugello for the first time in the second tier since 1997, and we also had the Bahrain Outer Loop. So... Would you like any of these tracks to return for next year? Um, yeah, I mean, I thought, I thought every single track that was on the calendar brought something to the championship. Um, I definitely like Magello to come back um, to Formula One in general. I'd like Formula Two to go to, you know, like Nuremberg Ring, Imola, Portimao as well. I think that'll be really, really good. Because um, obviously we did get um, sort of three double rounds this year. Um, but I don't think that really detracted anything from the, the series because, you know, Red Bull Ring provided loads of excitement and especially with one weekend being quite uh, rain affected. Um, and the same with Silverstone, obviously, is a great track and, and the Bahrain layout is very different. So, yes, I would like them to return uh, and also some, some different ones as well. Um, yeah, the track quality was really high this year. And I don't know about you, Craig, but probably didn't really miss Monaco too much. <laughs> Maybe the drivers did, but um, I thought the count, the tracks we got were great. And uh, yeah, it'd be good to see them come back in the future. I'm one of the few people that seem to actually like Monaco. I think it's probably <laughs> more because of the history and the fact that they, they drive around like, uh, the streets uh, as they do. And you, you occasionally get the, um, the occasional pile up as well, which I always find highly amusing. But the, the major regulation change that we had for this year, and it is going to be a theme, and I know it's quite a boring theme to talk about, but tyres, the 18-inch rims. Now, to the outside, it just seems like an aesthetic change. There's not much to, to talk about with that. 
but it became clear pretty early on that it was so much more than just an aesthetic change. It came with a massive weight change and to compensate for that Formula 2 up to the engine performance as well. So do we think that the, like, the more established drivers, uh, the, the names that have been around for, for quite a while now, perhaps were a little bit caught off guard from, from this particular change? And do you think that some of the, the teams that have performed well in, in previous years as well also struggled um, to the point where the, the pecking order just totally was turned on its head? Yeah, I guess Dams and ART were probably the two strongest teams of the, the previous era. Um, by previous era, I mean like two years. Um, and both, both of them seemed to struggle quite a bit this year. Um, Dams in particular, and especially with, with Dan Tickton. Um, so yeah, it did seem that they just struggled to get on top of the tyres um, all year round. Certain drivers, people like Marcus Armstrong, um, struggled with the tyres all year. Um, so it was a bit of both. I don't think experience had too much to play into it, just because people like Callum Eilott and Mick Schumacher, who had only just made their debut season last year, came into this year and they were kind of pretty much fine with the tyres, or at least um, compared to others, there wasn't a major penalty. It wasn't like when we saw the, the new car in 2018 and we had people like Latifi and Marco really struggling um, to catch up. Um, this year, it seemed like sort of everybody was struggling, um, but sort of certain teams in particular seemed to struggle more. And teams like Virtuosi and, and Prima, I guess, kind of came back to the fore, um, especially Prima, sort of having a bit of a, um, bit of a comeback. So yeah, it, did, it definitely changed up the pecking order, definitely influenced the championship. Uh, and we saw it right to the end in Bahrain. It wasn't like it was an issue at the start of the season when people got on top of it. Some people, they were struggling in, in Austria and they were struggling in, in Bahrain right at the end. Mm, yeah, certainly. Now, I think it tells a lot for Formula One as well, ahead of the, the introduction of the tyres in 2022 as well. I, I think the tyres are going to be a lot more difficult to handle. And that's in conjunction with the, the cars, which will in theory be more difficult to handle as well. Um, so I, I don't know whether you, whether you agree with that or not. Um, and whether sort of like some of the, the drivers in Formula One will, will find sort of like a similar crossover as when um, they brought in groove tyres for, for 1998 and they became more difficult to save, more difficult to, to handle and really suited a certain style of, of driving compared to, to the previous generation slicks that they had. Yeah, and we hope, all know how well those groove tyres went down in 1998. <laughs> so let's hope that uh, in 2022 it's, it's a little bit different. I mean, drivers always hate tyres and stuff, um, so I'm sure they will complain. But maybe a good point is that any of these Formula 2 drivers this year or next year are going to be kind of very valuable to F1 teams when they are switching to those tyres because they're going to have some proper experience. Obviously, the cars are very, very different, but the, the, uh, the actual... 18 inch is obviously the same um, in Formula 2 or Formula 1. So, yeah, people like um, Schumacher, Mazepin, you know, maybe Schwartzman and Lungard, hopefully next year, um, will be really, really valuable to, to the teams. Mm -hmm. Yeah, certainly. So let's crack on with the season itself. And we'll, we'll start off with, with Austria 1, uh, as we'll refer to it as. And um, the, the pole sitter for, for that race was, uh, well, many people's pre-season favourite, Guan Yu Zhou. Um, who was masterful uh, in, in that qualifying session, but his season started to unravel pretty early on as he retired due to a mechanical problem. And this allowed for a maiden victory for Callum Eilat. Uh, meanwhile, Mick Schumacher skidded off uh, at turn seven whilst on course for podium. Um, while Yuki Sonoda's debut did not go to the best of starts as he punted teammate Jihan Daravala. 
Meanwhile, uh, the rest of the, the podium was made up of rookies in, in Marcus Armstrong and Robert Schwartzman. Um, in the sprint race, uh, Felipe Drogovic was a, a surprise um, maiden winner uh, to, to, to take NP back to the top step for the first time since 2017. Um, he, he survived three safety car periods in that particular event, uh, beating Louis Delatraz and Dan Tictum while Schumacher uh, recovered seventh, uh, whilst Callum Hyler only managed ninth. Um, however, uh, mechanical problems really started to to rear their head quite early on into the year, uh, notably with Giuliano Alesi and Sean Galeo. So, so j- just looking back, sort of all the way to, to Austria one, and it became really clear early on that Virtuosi had a package to beat. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's almost bizarre, though, to think back to that time, isn't it, when Joe was on pole and he was leading the race and it felt like he was robbed of that win. I think he lost it twice and came back twice and then had his, obviously, mechanical problem. Uh, and we thought, you know, all the preseason predictions were right. <laughs> you know, Joe was going to win this or he was going to have a really nice fight with Ilot. It was going to be maybe an intra-team fight with Schumacher on the outside. Um, Sonoda, like you said, had a horrible debut. There was signs of pace, but no signs that he was going to become a, a genuine outside title contender and and obviously get an F1 seat for, for next year. So very, very weird to think back to that time. Um, in some ways, it did show certain things, like obviously Schumacher's mistake. We did see a couple of those throughout the year. Eilat was fairly composed um, and not outright fastest, when probably at other rounds we saw him being just absolutely blitzed and he didn't need his teammates to have a, a technical problem. And obviously, like Sonoda as well, obviously, we saw a lot better from him um, in the rounds after that. So, in, 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 well, the, the round right after that, actually. So... Um, yeah, quite a bizarre opening round to look back on, um, but one that had hints of uh, what was to come. Mm. And, and as we cover off the various rounds as well, we'll also talk about the, the various teams in detail. And we'll speak about Trident to begin with, who finished 11th with only six points, uh, five for Roy Nassani and one for Marino Sato. Um, certainly a, a challenging year with two drivers that we didn't necessarily expect a huge amount from, but I don't think... Um, Nisani in particular was the, the, the joke driver that um, many people within social media uh, world especially expected him to be. Um, whilst Bisato, it's just definitely a really, really challenging year uh, with a team that, that definitely was not up to, to the sort of standard that it needed to be. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, Nisani was was quite good on occasion. I mean, his defence, he's probably one of the the hardest drivers to overtake in the field. He really just put up a stern defence. It did annoy quite a few drivers. Um, obviously, the biggest one was, was Schumacher in qualifying in Bahrain. Um, but can Nassani really be blamed for that one? Probably, you know, not, not at least not wholly. Um, and yeah, it, there was actually the, the team with the lowest amount of points since 2012. Um, Lazarus was the, I think it's called one point in 2012. And they were the team with the fewer points. So... Well, that's eight years. Um, it's the lowest points total. I mean, it's pretty, pretty woeful, especially for a team which has finished last in the last four years. Um, so every year since Formula 2 changed its name. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> any sort of positivity we can think of? You know, hopefully they can have a bit of a, an upturn. I mean, they haven't stood on the podium as well in any of those four years. So hopefully it'll be a better year for them next year. Fair play to them for sticking around. I'd have probably quit. Um, so, <laughs> you know, fair play for them for that. Like I say, there were signs of potential. You know, had that he had Nasani not collided with Tictum in Spa, who knows what could have happened. I think Nasani could have maybe finished on the podium or at least in the top five or, or a fair big result, which could have made their season look quite different. Yeah, 
certainly. Um, so we'll move on to Austria 2, where we didn't really move at all. We just sort of stayed there for, for a while. And it rained a lot. Um, it was a fantastic maiden pole position for, for Yuki Tsunoda. Um, and he was looking good to, to win the race. But a radio issue uh, denied him the chance of victory, really. And that handed it to Robert Schwartzman, who was absolutely brilliant himself on that day. Um, to, to capitalise when it mattered, um, although he did admit later that he was saved by the red flag uh, in the middle of the race. Um, Guan Yu Zhou used a, a wet setup to, to snatch the final podium spot right at the line, um, whilst the sprint race was dominated by Christian Lingard for his maiden victory at this level. Um, and he bet Dan Tictum and Marcus Armstrong, who comprised the front row. Uh, meanwhile, a bizarre situation for, for Schumacher who retired due to the fire extinguisher in his car going off um, after finishing a, a, an okay fourth the previous day, uh, whilst Eilat took home a pair of fifth places. Uh, Schwartzman, who, who won brilliant, so brilliantly the day before, though, spun off at Turn 1, and Sonoda retired with a mechanical problem. So did we learn much from Austria 2 compared to Austria 1, or do we think the weather was just too much of a sort of like an outlying um, factor in drawing too many conclusions from that. I think it showed the quality of the rookies for sure, because you've got Schwartzman and, and Sonoda starring on Saturday and Ben Lungard being really good on Sunday. I mean, Lungard was really good on Saturday, I remember as well. I think he just went off or something um, and came back on. So um, yeah, I think it really showed the quality of those three. But like you say, because of the rain, didn't really give us a good picture for the, the season ahead. And at that point, Armstrong as well was was right up there with the leading contenders. He had a mechanical problem on the Sunday of the first weekend as well. So he lost out big points there. Um, and obviously this was um, basically his sort of last good result for, for a very long time. So yeah, like you say, it was uh, not really indicative of the season to come, but it did show some very high quality rookies. Mm. Uh, let's move on to the team that finished 10th in the championship, and that's HWA Race Lab. Uh, just 13 points for them, uh, with 8 for Giuliano Lacey, 5 for Artem Markolov, and 0 for Lacey's replacements, Jake Hughes and Teo Porcher. Uh, a very, very difficult season for the team, um, especially after a, a tragic year last year. Um, an absolutely dismal year for, for Markolov, who at the start of the year, if you recall, I said, waste of time him even being there. Um, and it turned out it, it probably was. Um, whilst Alacy, with arguably the weakest package of the lot, showed the least potential from the, the FDA5, if, you, if you're going to call it that way. Um, and how, how do we rate the, the cameos from, from Hughes and, and Porsche from uh, moving up from, from Formula 3? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I completely agree on the Markelov point. Um, obviously, it was um, pretty much a, a point in the season there, enough for him. Obviously, his best result was probably, or his best performance was probably in the last round, wasn't it, before he got to see that wing damage. So that was a bit of a, a shame. And yeah, I mean, the team was just, um, had a really, really difficult year, like you say, an awful year last year. But obviously, you know, Hubert was able to do um, brilliant things last year. And before then, what it was uh, Gunther, right? And, and Fukuzumi, um, in, when it was back in Arden. And obviously they were able to do, you know, pretty good things on occasion. And we just couldn't really see that this year, unfortunately, from Markov and Alacy. And if you look at uh, when Alacy went to MP, his, his pace did improve quite a bit. And I don't think that's just because of the 
you know, he just suddenly got good. It's clearly a, a, a team thing, unfortunately. And it's a shame if this is the end to Markov's career, if it's going to end like this in terms of his Formula 2 career. But it is probably time to move on now and, uh, you know, go and find something else to do. So, yeah, we, we unfortunately, we didn't really get any vintage Markov this season. No sort of real um, standout moments, like I say, apart from that, that last one. Um, the replacements, you know, both of them Ford did really well. You know, JQs obviously has waited for his chance to, to move up for quite a while. And over the Sochi weekend, I thought he did a, a really, really good job. Um, same with Porcher. I mean, fairly under the radar, but I think this experience that he's getting is going to be absolutely vital next year um, when he steps up to, to ART. So, um, yeah, really, really good stuff. And uh, both of them impressed, but it's just very hard to impress in HWA in terms of a, a big result as shown by four decent drivers. Even a Lacey, you know, as much as everyone rips into him, he's obviously the worst of the, the Ferrari five, but he's still a decent driver. He still won races in GP3 and he is still better than, than what he was able to show this year. Mm. Yeah, certainly. I, I echo that entirely, I think. Now, moving on, um, around the Hungara ring weekend, it became clear that Renault was about to sign its new driver for, for 2021. And it was none of the junior drivers, as many people would hoped, but instead it, it signed Fernando Alonso. Um, so Christian Lungard, who was doing better than expected um, after missing testing due to, to, to quarantining. Um, so he, he came in with, with very, very little experience. Um, uh, and Guan Yu Zhou, who at this point was, was still doing okay, but not perhaps with the results that he, he deserved. They were both denied um, a realistic shot at a 21 seat, but both uh, seemed pretty clear in, in their points that uh, Renault have got plans for them in the future, uh, whatever those plans might be. Uh, meanwhile, on the track, Callum Eilat took the first of five pole positions this season um, in, in brilliant fashion at, at, in the wet at, at Hungary. Um, but it was Robert Schwartzman who came through to win, utilising the alternative strategy. Um, definitely fortunate um, because he was on, on the alternative strategy, but the way he executed it was absolutely sublime. Um, Nikita Mazepin uh, was also on the alternate strategy. He took high-tech GP's first podium at this level, whilst Mick Schumacher was the highest-placed conventional runner in third very very unusual sprint race um which featured pit stops which was a little bit chaotic and the report must not have been fun to write uh but it was luca giotto who came out on top um a driver who wasn't expecting to even be racing this year uh in formula two so he he utilized uh, the old well he uses utilized the alternative strategy for a race where pit stops became the norm if that makes sense he didn't pit and won, basically. Um, so brilliant driving by him. Um, he beat Callum Eilat and, and Mick Schumacher, who achieved a rare feat in 2020, but not for him by taking two podiums in a single weekend. So, hungry. <laughs> How do we sort of, um, uh, you know, look back on, on hungry? And it, was it just another one of those absolutely chaotic events that we can't really read too much from? Or do we think we start to get a bit of a picture of how... Schumacher was quiet and calm and methodical with his approach, but Eilat certainly absolutely has the speed to, to absolutely dominate the, this championship. Yeah, you summed it up very, very well there. Um, it was just another bonkers weekend, wasn't it? We'd had like three in a row. And it was just like, when is this Formula 2 season going to settle down? 
and give us some kind of uh, meaning. But um, yeah, I mean, for me, looking back, it's quite clear to see this was Schumacher's first proper good weekend in terms of putting it all together. Thought he drove really, really well and really only that strategy denied him uh, a first feature race win on, on the Saturday. Um, Schwarzman drove brilliantly. You know, the margin he had at the end was was incredible. Such for obviously he was on the right strategy, but like you said, the way he did it was was really, really impressive. So at this point, they were very much level pegging. Schwartzman, arguably the more impressive, having taken obviously two wins at this point in the season. Um, and a lot of people were talking about him over Schumacher for, for a promotion to F1. Um, and again, retrospectively on the Renault point, I mean, it, I think it's quite clear that Lungard nor Joe are ready for F1 for next year. So I think, you know, in the end, it was probably the right move to, to bring back Alonso, or at least not to... to promote either of those two you could argue for somebody else like Perez or Hulkenberg but um, yeah that's a, a discussion for another day yeah. um so yeah it was one of Schumacher's strongest weekends um of the year I think and this did set him up nicely and like you said it showed um I lost pace as well mm-hmm. uh, let's move on to to Campos who's a, a team that really performed well last year but uh, certainly did not do so this year they only took 48 points on route to ninth in the championship uh, all 48 was scored by Jack Aitken, who took uh, a pair of podium finishes, whilst Gilhermi Samaya scored naught, as did Aitken's last round replacement, Ralph Boschon. So, there were some personnel changes uh, during the off-season um, within Campos, and would you agree that they were not for better? And also, do we reckon that this could be Aitken's final year, and... Uh, is a, an adequate send-off for him? And do we think that uh, Samaya was uh, elevated into Formula 2 with the wrong team at the wrong time? Well, a lot to unpack there. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, it was a difficult year. I mean, I mentioned earlier, didn't I, about uh, ART and Dam struggling from, from last year to this year. Well, Campos was probably the, the biggest of those to, to really struggle. Like you said, they went from a race-winning outfit to a team that was, you know, uh, barely troubling the top 10 at times, even having a, a quality driver like Jack Aitken, who obviously had a brilliant 2019. And it's kind of ironic because obviously he had a, a bad 2020 in terms of this Formula 2 year, but he actually got his F1 debut um, at the end of the year. So it was a really nice reward. So it wasn't a fitting end to his Formula 2 career, but it was, but the Formula 1 debut was. So this season wasn't a fitting end, but him getting a, a call up to F1 in Bahrain was definitely a, a well-deserved end. Um, yeah, I think this should be his last year. Um, I think he should now move on. It seems like the sort of right time. Um, on the personnel changes, obviously, I don't think they could do much about um, obviously the people who left, but I think they could have perhaps brought in some good replacements. Clearly, whoever they brought in um, either didn't have time to gel or they weren't able to uh, to really make it work. So yeah, they're going to need a lot of structure, restructuring, a lot of thinking over the winter um, because it was a really difficult year. And we look at um, which drivers are going to come in and which drivers are going to bring budget, um, who are the, which teams are the drivers going to be looking at stepping up. And unfortunately now Campos is going to be sort of down there, HWA tried in a sort of area where the, the driver's really scrapping for those last seats. And, and unfortunately Campos is going to be among those teams, which are kind of the, the least desired, unfortunately, which wasn't the case, obviously, um, <clears throat> after last year. Um, on Samaya, yeah, I mean, there probably wasn't, a good time for him to come or a good team really unfortunately i think he's shown he has uh, been a bit out of his depth this year so yeah there wasn't really any sort of highlight i can't point to anything um that he's done this season unfortunately so yeah the only thing that i can think of when i think back to, to smile season was his spectacular engine failure at monza um 
can't remember whether it was in practice or qualifying or mm. what, but um, that, that's pretty much the one highlight for Samaya, sadly. Um, it's a bit like a Lacey, you know, with um, Lacey crushed in the pit lane right in Spa. That was, I think it was Spa. No, but, yeah. spinning out of the pit lane. Spinning um, out of the pit lane, yeah. Spun <laughs> out of the pit lane and just binned yeah. um, 90 degrees in, into the barrier. But let's move on to, to Silverstone, the first of two Silverstone rounds. And Prima struggled big time, like properly big time. Um, well, we had Felipe Dragovic taking pole position, um, which came as a bit of a shock. Um, but it was uh, Mazepin who uh, executed a, a brilliant race to, to take a maiden victory, um, which he would later describe as very stressful. Um, whilst Grand Yu Joe used the alternative strategy to take second place ahead of Sonoda. I lot stalled from uh, high up on the grid, but recovered to finish fifth, while Schumacher slipped to ninth and Schwartzman was well out of points. Tictum argued that his doubters had been proved wrong by taking his maiden victory in the sprint race, in which Eilot was chasing him down, but he spun off on his own accord and also had contact with Sonoda, which put him out of the race. Schumacher finished only 14th ahead of Schwartzman, and Joe spun a podium away. Lingard and Delatraz rounded out the podium. So I, I think this particular round showed the other side of, of Eilot in that he was there all the time in terms of speed, and he was perhaps... There were times where he had you know, three, four tenths over the rest of the field, which is pretty much unheard of in, in junior single-seater racing. But he made critical mistakes at the very wrong time. And like, at the end of the day, like, people argue that, oh, no, it's stalling, it's got to be the car. But Eilot admitted himself that these, these mistakes were stalling the car, that they were his and his alone. Obviously, Formula 1 cars have got fail-safes for these things, but Formula 2 cars do not. Um, but do you think that this was the point of the season where Eilot started to believe, well, Eilot started to show that, that he had to do a lot more than just produce the speed when it matters. He has to put the weekend when it absolutely matters as well. I think that seems to be the story of his whole career, let alone his, his year in Formula 2, unfortunately. He's always had the speed. It's really quick through Formula 3. But it was always putting it together, you know, consistency. It was always good to get outright poles and wins. Uh, nothing, he did, no problem with those. It was more the consistency and, and putting together a championship. And unfortunately, it did not fall apart, but it did sort of come down, especially on this um, Silverstone weekend, because he was so, so quick. I think we all remember saying on the podcast, you know, how quick he was um, after this weekend, but that he just didn't have the results to show it. You know, a fifth place in the end, 10 points from a weekend where he was, you know, probably the quickest driver. Um, yeah, it, it was costly looking back. Um, especially with only a, a small gap at the end of the season. So, uh, mm. yeah, it, it, the one he looks back at, uh, not too fondly, unfortunately. And I think the other point is that on the weekends where Prema did not perform well or Schumacher made mistakes, Eilot did not punish him enough at the end of the day. Um, I, I think back to, to Bahrain as well, um, especially uh, where Schumacher was not at his, uh, his most... Uh, devastating of form um, and this weekend in particular Eilot just did not get the points when it absolutely mattered at the end of the day yeah definitely that's a, that's a good point um, and yeah like I say he, he will unfortunately regret that um, but hopefully yeah yeah lesson learned I mean he I think it's he's definitely changed he has developed throughout his career you know he hasn't just stayed the same where he's really quick and makes lots of mistakes so this year was definitely better but unfortunately like you say just those couple of costly errors at a very costly time Mm -hmm. 
Um, speaking of Tictum, who, who took his maiden victory, let's talk about Dams now, who were eighth, um, somewhere ahead of Campos, um, with 115 and a half points, um, with 96 and a half of those coming for Tictum with the one win. Uh, 16 of those were scored by Yuri Vips, who deputized for Sean Glale, and three of those came from Glale himself. So reliability was an absolute horror show for, for Dams this year. And they were very, very public in making that known. I think back to the, the, the ridiculous number of engine failures that Sean Galau had at various points this year. I think back to the fuel issue as well that um, denied Tictum the, the race victory at Monza and, and so forth. So do we think that, that Dam's overall performance perhaps went a little bit under the radar or do we think that their pace wasn't good enough anyway to really challenge for 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 like the really big spots yeah i think a bit of a bit of both in terms of uh, obviously like you say they probably didn't have the the ultimate pace but still the reliabilities issues you know cost them an awful lot um of course we'll come on to talk about it but obviously later on in the season in monza obviously it cost them um, and kind of throughout the season, um, there were just always little problems. Um, you know, especially I think, like you say, Galil definitely got the worst of it. I mean, didn't he? He had his obviously his big injury and came back and almost had a, a failure straight away. So, um, you know, it it really was not a, an easy season for them, uh, especially after coming through from the last few years. Um, they really did take a, a bit of a nosedive, unfortunately. So um, we'll see if they can get back on track. Obviously, it looks like from testing, and they're going to have Roy Nassani and. Marcus Armstrong next year. Um, so clearly there is an element that they have to have a driver with substantial backing. Obviously, fortunately in the past, that was Latifi who could actually do a pretty decent job. Um, unfortunately, you know, Galeo's not on that same level and Nassani probably isn't either. So um, yeah, I think it's going to be a difficult few years. Next year might be sort of similar to this year, unfortunately for them. Um, but yeah, we'll see. Like you say, there were still flashes of speed and Tictum did drive um, very well at times. Um, but unfortunately, I think the whole frustration of the reliability issues definitely got the better of him sometimes. And that seemed to come across, um, especially after the races. Mm -hmm. Let's speak about um, some of the, well, let's speak about Tictum as well, um, a little bit in detail, because it is a driver who were, you know, very widely criticized coming into the season and at various points throughout the season as well. But do we think that some of the criticism that was given to him, especially from prominent figures within the, the Formula One world um, with, with, with name calling and so forth was um, entirely unjust. And what about Vips as well? Because he was given the opportunity that many believed that he deserved anyway in having a, a seat within Formula Two. And do we think that um, stepping into a car that was so uh, unreliable and perhaps unrepresentative uh, didn't showcase the, the talent that um, many people believe that he's got? Yeah, so I think I said at the time on Tictum, because it was around here, wasn't it? Silverstone Radio Rant, I think, yeah. So um, obviously we all know what you're referring to in terms of the name calling. And I feel like they came out worse in that than, than Tictum in terms of the response. So actually for once he kind of got a fair crack, you know, quite a few people were defending him and stuff. So I think it, it, it wasn't too bad. Um, I think he's just used to it at this point. Like he's never going to shake off the reputation Obviously, like you say, he said after his win, he proved his doubters wrong. You know, he's never going to prove them wrong. He's never going to silence them. They're always going to be there. And I think he's almost 
I'm not happy with that, but he's content with it. You know, he can carry on and do his job and he doesn't really, you know, care about the critics and stuff. So yeah, for him this year, maybe he was sort of come to peace um, with that after some really difficult years. He hasn't changed um, his attitude really t- too much, which obviously to some people is, is, is bad, but to others, you know, they don't really care. Um, and you quickly on Vips, obviously, he showed what he could do in, in Magello really well um, with a brilliant podium. And obviously, he was also kind of hovering around the points, wasn't he? Sparring Monza, he was like always in 11th or 9th, um, just outside the points. So I thought he, he did well. And with being, uh, being with high tech next year, um, I think he'll be really, really strong. So, uh, yeah, uh, a lot more to come from him. But even what we did see this year was, was still pretty good. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to Silverstone 2, uh, the 70th anniversary uh, GP round. And Ilot converted this time. Um, it, it was excellent pace. Uh, took pole and converted it into a dominant win um, ahead of Christian Lungard, who uh, didn't like Silverstone as it became a bit of a recurring joke in the, in the press conferences. Um, and Jack Aitken, who, who rounded out the podium. Um, and these were the, the radio comments. Uh, Tictum said he would crash with him uh, in regards to, to Louis Delatraz after the latter made a, an aggressive move. Um, and Delatraz himself came out and defended Tictum afterwards. Um, Prima was a bit stronger at the Silverstone round, um, which did feature a different tyre compound to the previous. And uh, the, the two drivers were fighting for the win in the sprint race. However, they collided. This allowed Yuki Tsunoda to come through and take his first victory ahead of Schumacher, who recovered to finish second, and Jack Aitken once more, whilst Callum Eilat um, could only manage sixth in, in the sprint. So, earlier in the year, the relationship between the two Prima drivers was very chummy. It was quite, it was very, very good. And uh, later in the year, you, I remember you messaging me and saying, they're friendship is totally over and I think this was the point where things totally became undone between Schumacher and Schwarzman obviously these two have been part of the Ferrari Driver Academy together now for four years I think it is and that one moment was certainly quite telling I I think in in how things unraveled for the pair of them going forward um Obviously, Schumacher's season really started to take off after this this point, whilst Schwartzman seemed to find himself in a, a bit of limbo. So how do you assess this particular round in particular and that particular moment? Well, I think it was around this point when it was starting to become clear that there would not be... Uh, this is from the, the inside, obviously, perhaps um, we didn't really know this at the time, but it was probably became clear to them at this point that there was only going to be one seat in Formula One, you know, next year for, for Schumacher, um, Schwarzman and Nylot. So between them, only one of them would, would progress next year. And this is where, you know, Schumacher, I think, was trying to put a stamp on the on the team, trying to get the team to fall in behind him um, by beating Schwarzman and, and making sure he was the, the sort of championship contender. Obviously, we saw what happened. It was a, a big misjudgment from Schumacher, but it didn't really seem to knock him, but it did seem to knock Schwartzman, even though Schwartzman was probably, I mean, it seemed to be Schumacher's fault, at least from, from you know, what I saw. Um, yeah, it seemed to knock Schwartzman really more than it knocked Schumacher. Um, Schumacher was able to respond um, fine and obviously went on to kind of build his, uh, build his championship charge. Even in the race, obviously, he still finished second. 
Um, and he picked up 14 points with the fastest lap as well. Whereas obviously Schwartzman, like you say, was was badly affected, knocked out, got got no points. And this championship didn't really recover. I mean, he still had some really good results after that. Um, but it was never really a, a championship charge there. It was, obviously, it was the opposite for, for Schumacher. So, yeah, it was very, very interesting. I mean, um, yeah, it was very, very weird to look back on because they were very, very close at this point. Um, but after that, they, they did seem to diverge. Um, Schwartzman were very good at Barcelona, so probably after that. Um, the second triple header, Schumacher seemed to, to take a step ahead. And like you said, Schwartzman um, got a bit lost. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was at this point of the, the campaign as well that Eilat referred to himself as the favourite for the championship now, um, after his commanding win at the Silverstone. Um, but uh, as as he said later on, um, pretty much everyone is a, a threat at, at that point. Um so speaking of Eilat, he was injured when he took pole position at Barcelona after twinging his neck, if I remember rightly. Um, but he still was able to to convert into into pole position. But it was Matsu Shita, of all people, who started 18th, who took victory in one of the most bizarre races um, I can recall in in like, in history of, of Formula Two. Although I seem to be saying that about a lot of races uh, this year. Um, Sadly for for Sean Galel, he was injured in a in a horrible accident um, where he did break a vertebra, um, and that ruled him out for for much of the rest of the season. Um, it was uh, Schwartzman and, and Joe who rounded that podium. Uh, Ilot could only manage fifth, um, while Schumacher only took sixth. Um, and Dr- Felipe Djokovic was very unhappy with the call that MP made, um, which denied him a, a, a chance of victory. However, the following day, he was able to capitalise and turned a front row start into into victory. So it was uh, two wins in two races for, for MP Motorsport. Um, Schumacher took another podium uh, with third place and Luca Giotto w- was second. Um, but Eilat slipped down to eighth and uh, Sonoda could only manage a pair of fourths. And at this point of the championship, the, the, the it was so so close. Um, you had Eilat on 121, Schwartzman on 103, Lungard on 87, Sonoda on 82, Schumacher on 79, Joe on 76, Mazepin on 75, Djokovic on 67, Delatraz on 65, and Tictum on 61. So at this point, like you just couldn't count anybody out, surely. Yeah, it was all open. And I guess, again, looking back, this is what I thought should have stamped his authority on the championship. You know, he should have won the first Silverstone round, bagged a lot of points there. And then here in Barcelona, he should have won the feature race, scored more points in the sprint race. And that championship table you just read out would have sounded very, very different. It would have been either up here, everyone else um, down there. Obviously, he'll probably still have nightmares about the safety car in Barcelona. It did kind of, um, you know, ruin his chances of a, a fairly easy victory. And obviously, like you say, brought on chaos. It's difficult to pick the most craziest race of the season. This was probably the most crazy end to a race. Um, yeah, it was absolutely bonkers. So, unfortunately, it was like the cards all got um, blown up in the air. And, uh, unfortunately, Eilat didn't get a, a good hand, unfortunately. Um, so, yeah, this was this was pretty costly. I think this one really hurt him as well. He seemed dejected because I think he'd had all this bad luck at Silverstone or, or made mistakes. And he'd sort of put it right in Barcelona. He was looking really good. And then something that was fairly out of his hands... Um, you know, happened to him and he lost out on big points, um, which again, you would look back on and say, that's probably where I lost the championship. So, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And with two victories, it's a very good time to segue into discussing MP Motorsport. We finished sixth um, by coincidence. So they took 167 points this year uh, with 42 for Matsushita with that one win. 121 for Felipe Djokovic with three wins and Giuliano Alesi who came in at the end of the year took four points as well um, so I think it was an absolutely amazing rookie season for, for Felipe Djokovic who, who struggled in his maiden FIA F3 season last year um, but uh, it's a bit, bit sad that uh, Matsu Shita's Formula 2 career ended the way that it did um, and it did seem like the relationship between the two drivers really, really deteriorated after that accident at Spa. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like you said, probably even after what happened in uh, um, in Spain sorry, and Barcelona, yeah. obviously, I think it, it sort of started there. And like you said, the Spa was like the, 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 the tipping point, the final straw. Um, I mean, MP are probably my team of the year. Or at least one just because of the step forward that they were able to make. Um, I thought they were really were impressive. You mentioned, obviously, a few technical changes at, at Campos, and obviously MP were um, slightly benefit of a few technical reshuffling among the teams, and clearly it was, it was paying off this year. And I think they'll be a very attractive prospect for, for any drivers for next year. Um, yeah, because I don't think they'd, they'd only won, I think, a sprint race right in 2017 with um, Camera, And obviously, like you said, they got a double win, which is uh, very, very impressive. So, uh, yeah, MP, I thought, did a great job this year. Dragovic as well was was very very solid, and he'll be a, a big championship contender next year. Whereas obviously uh, Massachusetts, it was probably the right time to end. Spa was obviously not a good way to end it, but if you if you take Barcelona as the actual end, then uh, it is a pretty good way for him to to sign out uh, his fourth or fifth year in, in, in at this level. <laughs> yeah, certainly, um, and and that win goes down as one of the lowest down ever in, mm. in junior single-seater racing where a driver's come through to, to win from. So he, he can always look back on that and uh, think really fondly of it. Um, let's move on to Spa, which was a very emotionally charged weekend and not least with the, the on-track action. Um, Yuki Tsunoda took pole position um, brilliantly, but uh, Mazepin won on the road, but was uh, penalised for his aggressive defending to which Mazepin responded by driving the number two board directly into the path of Sonoda in Park Ferme, which he would later blame on cold brakes. Schumacher rounded out the podium as Calamilot had one of his worst weekends of the champ well, his worst weekend of the championship, um, where he finished 10th in the, the, the Saturday race and retired from the Sunday race after a collision. Um, so we also had the one F2 driver to be sidelined by uh, You Know What, which we won't mention because YouTube. Um, and that was Dan Tictum, who missed free practice because of an inconclusive test. Um, but he was cleared to drive for the rest of the weekend. So it was Sonoda and Eilat who, who collided in, in the sprint race um, with a bit of sort of just chaos going on at, at Lake Com. Um, uh, as did Tictum and Nisani, as we spoke about earlier. Um, so the, the, the Williams Jr. pairing coming together allowed victory for Robert Schwartzman, who was happy to sit back and watch the two at front um, do battle, and he was absolutely right to do so. Um, that led home a Prima 1-2 um, with Schumacher and, and Joe um, taking third place. 
Um, Vips made his debut, uh, qualifying 11th, finishing 11th in Saturday, finishing 11th in Sunday, and he duly labelled the weekend as a disaster. So uh, let's look back on Spa. Um, as mentioned, it was very emotionally charged with the, the one-year passing of Antoine Hubert. Um, and I, I do think that this was really the point where, where Sonoda especially started to really showcase what he was properly able to do uh, with a Formula 2 car. This was a weekend where it really seemed to start to click for him. Yeah, definitely. And, and clearly that, um, obviously Hubert's passing as well had a, a big impact on Sonoda. You know, he referenced it um, throughout the year. So clearly it was a very emotional weekend for him. Um, and yeah, I thought he, he obviously drove very brilliantly. This was easily the most controversial weekend of the year. I mean, you had um, obviously the huge stuff with Sonoda and Raspin on Saturday. Like you said, you had uh, Tictum and Asani on Sunday, which was just a bit clumsy, really. You know, Tictum, I think, should have just waited regardless of who who's at fault for that particular incident. You know, knowing Nasani, seeing what he'd done this throughout this whole year, I think Titson could have just waited. Um, Schwartzman probably had the easiest win of the year. Um, I remember him just being completely unchallenged after that. Um, and like you said, he was right to hang back. Um, obviously, all his um, these first three wins all had something. So obviously, his uh, Austria win, you had Sonoda's radio um, problem in Hungary. Um, obviously, you had the strategy and then this one with the collision. So he never wins boring races or he never wins in a sort of uh, uh, an unboring fashion. So, uh, yeah. He sort of, I guess, arguably sort of uh, at least um, put that right towards the end of the year. But um, we'll get on to that. Um, yeah, with Mazepin and Sonoda, um, obviously Mazepin's conduct in Park Ferme with the boards, I think he was very, very lucky to not get a, a more severe penalty. Same with his defensive driving, which obviously would come up later in the season as well. Um, this is where we really got to see his uh, character, I guess, and, and more people sort of got to, to see him at the front because we'd seen him obviously win that Silverstone race fairly comfortably really in the end uh, and not be put too much of a challenge but this was a real sort of battle for the lead arguably probably the best battle for the lead all season or at least the most intense um but we got so yeah Craig how do you look back on it because obviously it was quite a a long time ago now oh Christ yeah it it was a very long time ago um I, I do think looking back that we we've certainly got to see the the side of Mazepin that people perhaps referenced back several years ago when he got in trouble for, for his conduct uh, with Callum Eilat in particular. Um, and I, I do think that the way how he he brushed off um, the, the pit lane thing as nothing was not the right way of going about it, uh, especially, especially in hindsight. Um, but I do think that the way how Sonoda conducted himself was, was very, very good um, in particular because it would have been incredibly easy for him to, 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 to become too engrossed in emotion as well and to, to get in, in trouble in, in his own right. But he was able to, to channel that very, very nicely. Um, I do think it, when it comes to, to Spa, we obviously that that's sort of like the standout memory, really, for me, um, as well as the the horrible crash between the the MP drivers, um, uh, and and really just sort of the the sense of sort of sadness around the, the whole weekend with it being uh, one year. Um, it was fantastic to see one Manuel Manuel Carrera at the at the circuit as well. 
um, to to exonerate the the demons that he he finds himself with after obviously such a horrific um, crash and 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 the the part that he he was in in such a tragic accident as well. So that was very very nice and warming to see. I think. Um, and I, I, in terms of sort of like the, the title fight, this was really sort of like the one weekend that it turns out didn't really sort of feature too much in, in a lot of ways, um, which is almost kind of a bit of a relief in, in a lot of ways because Schumacher was just there quietly picking up points. Um, and I lot had like his, his worst weekend of the year, uh, qualifying nowhere, finishing nowhere on Saturday and, and being punted into on Sunday um so I do think sort of looking back at Spa in particular that it's a weekend that it's just a little bit sad in, in a lot of ways for me um which is a real shame um but we'll we'll move on and we'll we'll look at ART because they finished fifth in the championship this year um with 201 points and 149 of those came for, for Christian Lungard, who took two wins, and 52 of those came for, for Marcus Armstrong, who took um, a second place earlier in, in the year. And most of those 52 points came right at the start. Um, so it's second ART seat that just still seems to be utterly cursed, doesn't it? I don't think a driver in, in the second ART seat has performed well for... <laughs> For many years now, um, and all of the bad luck just just seemed to come um, Armstrong's way. Um, so he has got a massive job now to reassert himself as the next favourite in the Ferrari Driver Academy to to graduate to Formula One, and that's not going to be easy. Um, but also on Christian Lungard, what a rookie campaign he had to come back from missing preseason testing to you know, winning almost straight away to, to featuring really highly uh, very, very often um, uh, and just generally having a very, very strong rookie campaign. Yeah, definitely. You know, Lungard was brilliant over one lap and, and in the races as well, drove really, really well. So like I say, we saw his pace straight away in the first two Red Bull, week- Red Bull ring weekends. Really, really quick there. Um, and probably his most impressive weekend, as we'll come on to, was probably at uh, Mugello, obviously, where he wasn't... Um, Fully rewarded, could have very easily been a double win there. And he was very up and down, probably the most up and down driver. Um, and, and that could have been because of ART as well. But literally one weekend, he'd nearly win both races. The next, he'd struggle to get anywhere near the top 10. So um, I'm hoping next season we'll see a more consistent um, driver and team. Because I think if we do, he's definitely among the, the title favourites and, and, and looking very, very good for graduation to F1, um, perhaps as early as, as 2022. Mm-hmm. And Armstrong's... Ah. <laughs> Sorry, Armstrong is moving to Dams and he's had all these tyre issues of ALT and he's moving to Dams who also have lots of tyre issues and issues in general this year. I'm not that hopeful, unfortunately. <laughs> I don't think it, it doesn't sound like a good combination, but we'll see. He's got, he, at least he's got team leader status there if he's alongside Nassani. So perhaps he can bring Dams back to the front and like you say, reassert himself against Schwarzman. He's basically going to have to win the championship or come in the top three. If he wants any chance of uh, graduating to F1. I think it will say a lot if he's able to turn Dams around. Um, the, the team leadership qualities that um, like an outfit like Ferrari will be will be looking at uh, in, in fine detail. Uh, you've reminded me quite um, 
uh, aggressively, if you, if you will, that uh, we forgot to cover Giroud's. So let's do that now. And I might have to do a bit of a fine tuning with the, with the, the audio file. But they scored 137 points this year. Um, a couple of second places for, for Louis Dertraz, uh, who took 134 points. Just three points for Pedro Pique. Uh, Dertraz was very effective, but quite quiet. Um, no wins, no poles in his like, sixth or seventh or twelfth year at this level. Um, whilst it was a very tough season for PK, but he did show some potential uh, occasionally through the year, uh, notably when he was on course for a podium at Bahrain before the engine went pop. Yeah, definitely gutting for, for PK after such a difficult year to, to have that result taken away from him. Um, I thought Delatraz was brilliant this year. Like you say, it's his fourth year in, in, in F2 and, and GP2. Um, but I think easily one of his strongest. Um, obviously, coming from Carlin as well. You know, Truys are good, but they're not quite Carling. Um, and obviously, the the performances, the, the pace, um, hasn't been there from from Truys in the past, especially compared to what obviously Carlin were able to do this year. So um, he was really good. Obviously, his racecraft as well was really, really good, what we saw at Silverstone. Um, obviously, that obviously irritated Tickton, but was very, very good to watch from the from the outside. Um, and like you said, I mean, he scored nearly all of Drew's points, really effective team leader. And there probably weren't really many chances to win a race this year. If you look at the, the sort of balance of the season, there probably weren't opportunities for really for him to win with the, with the package he did. So I thought he did a really good job, easily his best year, um, and perhaps might even be returning next year, despite sort of saying he probably wouldn't come back. He's doing a sort of Giotto and, and what we've seen from many other drivers and is possibly returning. Uh, and fair enough as well if he does. Um, but if not, I could definitely see him in LMP1 um, or rather Hypercar and the new um, WEC sort of top class. Um, we're seeing a lot of interest there. And obviously Delatraz did well at Le Mans. He also was driving um, GT cars as well this year. So doing all sorts and still managing to put on um, his best season in, in Formula 2. Mm-hmm. Pretty handy sim racer as well, as it turned out. Uh, winner of the Le Mans 24 virtual, if I recall rightly. Um, let's move on to Monza. And it was uh, another Callum Eilat, absolutely brilliant um, for, for much of the, the event, but made a, a simple mistake and that cost him massively. He stalled in the pits, uh, dropped down to the last and recovered absolutely fantastically to finish uh, fifth uh, or P6 at, at the end, if you will. Um, for me, that was drive of the year. Um, I'm not sure about you, Josh, but um, we'll, we'll go on about that later. Um, but Schumacher um, took his maiden victory at Monza, of all places, a, a name which obviously has got a lot of history uh, with regard to the, the Schumacher name. Um, and he used an absolutely fantastic start. He went from P7 to P2 uh, on the opening lap, um, crashed in qualifying, but made up for it in the race. And he was able to beat uh, Giotto and, and Lungard. Meanwhile, Schwartzman went from P16 on the grid to, to ninth, whilst Mazepin retired from the race with reliability issues. Um, Ilot made up for it in the sprint race. Uh, however, he capitalised after uh, the woes that hit Tictum um, for the, the fuel of irregularity, as it was officially. But it turns out that uh, some parts were not working as expected. Uh, Dams had overfueled the car, yet he still ran out of fuel. Um, which is very, very concerning indeed. Um, but it was at this point of the year that Ilot declared everybody a title threat. 
um, which I thought was quite interesting because I weren't too sure about Guilherme Samaya's uh, status as a, as a title contender at this point. Um, but it was uh, Lungard and, and Schumacher rounding out the podium um, to, to round off a very, very strong weekend for the latter. Um, it, and there were more reliability issues uh, in the sprint race as well as both Sonoda and Joe ret- retired due to, due to reliability problems. So Monza. How important was that maiden victory for Schumacher? He had been saying for a while, it will come. It's fine. I'm not too worried about it. But do you think that this was uh, like really, really important for, for Schumacher to get it and to do so at Monza as well, of all places? And um, how do you think that this is another one of those weekends where Eilat will look back and go, yeah, had I not made that mistake, like that title would have been mine? Yeah, because again, it's the, the timing of the mistakes. You know, Schumacher also made a huge error this weekend. But where did he do it? He did it in qualifying. And um, how did he respond, like you said, with that brilliant start? Um, and he was able to recover. So everything he lost from bidding it in the gravel, he would just made up straight away. See, I lot, you, you know, it's very, I mean, it's impossible to do that. So he did a really good job to recover. But he was never going to be able to come back to the, the front of the field. And like you said, Schumacher took a, a very important win. And one that did sort of start tipping the balance um, of the championship, you know, fully in his favour. Um, obviously, Eilat was did good to win, obviously, on Sunday. Obviously, slightly fortuitous with, with Tickton's unfair disqualification, let's say. Um, and, you know, I guess it maybe did balance a little bit of luck out there. I wouldn't really, you know, begrudge Eilat that slightly fortuitous win um, t- too much because I think he, yeah, he certainly deserved it with that, like you said, fantastic drive on, on the Saturday. So, yeah, highly significant uh, in the championship. And it really set Schumacher up very nicely for this very nice period. I mean, this was what his fifth podium in a row, wasn't it? His, uh, his sixth in, in seven races. Um, so it was really, really impressive. And this is what built his championship, really, uh, and what ultimately would cement it. Yeah, certainly. And we also had probably the, the funniest moment of the season for me anyway, and that was uh, Tictum arriving in Park Ferme in the, in the medical car, and the medical car conveniently parked up at the number one spot. So... Well done to, to Alan van der Merwe on, on winning the, the Formula 2 sprint race at, at Monza. Um, and thankfully, that's uh, uh, not even his, his biggest acclaim this year uh, in the Grand Prix world. Um, but let's talk about high tech as they finished fourth uh, in their rookie campaign, nonetheless. Um, 270 points, 164 for, for Mazepin with two wins, 106 for, for Giotto with one win. And... It was a very, very effective campaign uh, from the rookie team. Um, Giotto, perhaps not as consistent as he wanted or needed to be, but obviously he he wasn't, you know, supposed to be driving uh, altogether, really, and that was a a bit of a surprise to see him back. Um, And perhaps this is his his final year in Formula 2 as well. Well, Mazepin's aggressive driving very much became under the under scrutiny once again especially later in the year and and just generally uh, a campaign that was solid um in his second year but perhaps not the sort of campaign that you look at and go right that that driver absolutely deserves a, a major crack at formula one next year yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, if you uh, look at Elliot's brilliance, you know, F2 stat piece, obviously, um, I think he he had uh, Mazepin down 13th on the rolling pace average. And obviously, Giotto was, was up in sixth place. Um, so, obviously, you know, Giotto seemed to have a lot of pace. 
certainly particular weekends, um, which I guess not really surprising given his experience. Um, but obviously, like you say, other weekends just not really there. We're not putting it together. Um, High Tech obviously had a really difficult start. Um, they were absolutely nowhere at the Red Bull ring, had so many technical issues. But they really, really came on strong. I think the strongest debut of any team in Formula 2 or GP2, I mean, since Prima came in and dominated. So a real credit to the High Tech team. They're going to be a real force going forward. They've got two quality drivers for next year as well. So I think they're going to be, you know, pushing on really, really strong. Um, obviously, in my opinion, a very uh, up down year as well. Um, maybe slightly surprising. Obviously, he had his miserable um, rookie season last year and came on really, really strong this year. Um, and obviously, like you say, earned the, you know, F1 graduation. Obviously, you can't really um, talk about Mazepin without talking about the big elephant in the room. Um, and obviously, that was his, his conduct, um, obviously, uh, post the end of the season. And obviously, I think I speak for myself and Craig when I say, obviously, we hope there's a proper and thorough investigation. And obviously, hopefully, the uh, the proper and full appropriate action is taken. Um, you know, following that, I th- you can't really look at Mazepin's season sort of without mentioning it. So he, I just personally wanted to mention it. Um, obviously, just quickly now to sort of um, label that. Because um, I guess it does tie into all this sort of conduct off track as well, like you said, which was, we've seen throughout the year. Um, yeah, sorry, Craig, I don't know if you wanted to, to say anything, not to put you on the spot, but just to... Um, uh, yeah. yeah, I think definitely to follow follow that up. Um, the the actions that, that Mazepin has done off the track have been quite... Um, outrageous at times um i don't think it's going over the line uh to to say that and i do hope that the the correct action is taken whatever that action is is down to your own interpretation um i do think that his on-track antics as well were also perhaps a little bit un under under penalized if you will uh, to to create new words out, out of nothing um i do think that his aggression at times certainly went over the line um he ended the season with 11 penalty points and it's 12 for a race ban um so he was very very fortunate to to avoid that um i do think just just generally sort of out away from the track it, it is his conduct wasn't the the, the best um in the press conferences, he was um, perhaps a little bit sort of just brushing off uh, certain incidents, uh, notably the, the spa one, uh, for example. And when he was pressed on his his aggressive driving, his response was uh, very much non-commental and just brushing that off as well, which I don't think is uh, is the correct thing to do for for a driver who 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 could well be racing in Formula One next year. Um, and he is going to have a much tougher time with the Formula One press than they are going to have with with you and me. Um, that, that's for sure. Um, on Giotto uh, uh, as well, because we can't, we can't forget, forget, we can't forget Giotto, who um, is obviously my first experience uh, interacting with him. And he was always pleasant to, to chat to. Um, I very much liked his, his quote um, that he felt like a rookie this year, um, despite being in, in Formula 2 slash GP2 for, for five seasons now. And I, I think that obviously he had that win and I, I think that's a nice way to to go out. But I, I think he would have wanted a, a better result uh, closer towards the season to 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 really round off a, a Formula 2 and GP2 career that promised a lot but didn't quite deliver the 
the the results that many people wanted and hoped for i i, I think um but let's move on to that uh, moves on quite nicely really in, into Mugello and uh, first time that uh, the second tier has visited there since Formula 3000 in 1997, um, back in the days of uh, the likes of Montoya and, and, and the likes. So it was a high-tech one-two on that weekend uh, with Mazepin leading Giotto, but things totally unraveled the following day as the two collided um, at Turn 1. Um, but that, that, that feature race was also one of those crazy dramatic races in which quite literally everything happened and the alternative strategy was the one to be on. Um, we did have uh, Sonoda uh, hitting Ticton, uh, which uh, was definitely uh, an incident that uh, prompted uh, radio quotes, uh, as we had quite often from, from Ticton this year, uh, whilst Christian Lungard, who, who started on pole position, slipped the sixth. Um, Eilat himself uh, managed to hit Sonoda and was out of the points whilst Robert Schwarzenegger retired due to a mechanical issue, which all but ended his slim championship hopes. Um, Louis Delatraz took another podium, um, rounding, rounding that off. Um, and in, in the sprint race, the, the two drivers, or the drivers who benefited from the high-tech drivers colliding uh, were, were Christian Lungard, who put things right on, on Sunday. Um, beating a, a charging Louis Delatraz whilst Vips took that maiden podium that we spoke about earlier, um, which was a, a fine reward for, for him after what must have been a, a very, very difficult year. Uh, Schumacher was fourth. Eilock could only manage sixth. Um, and Robert Schwartzman charged right from the back to finish uh, a fine ninth, just missed out on the points. So, Magello, how do we look back on a, a track that really a lot of people weren't too aware of coming into this year obviously drivers who have driven in things like italian formula four will be will be well familiar with it um and so forth but i think that this was a fine addition to the calendar produced a lot of drama absolutely brilliant to, to watch the drivers really hurl the cars around and I think we had uh, some very very good racing on a track that people expected there to be no racing yeah, definitely. It was, it was, yeah. I don't want to say insignificant in the championship, but it wasn't the most significant weekend, but it was certainly an entertaining one. I think it was definitely showed, you know, Lungard's incredible pace. Like I say, he really could have won both races here. It was very unfortunate with the, with the timing of everything. Um, you know, Della tries his probably best um, weekend as well. You look at the qualifying averages, again, referencing Elliot's article, and they were very, um, you know, Boshang was, was quite far down really in, in the qualifying averages. But always brought to back in the races and, and nowhere else better was it demonstrated than than here in Magello, you know, with two um, brilliant performances in both races. So, uh, yeah, this was a weekend on, on other drivers could shine. Um, like you said, high tech as well, showing the, the incredible debut season they've had. Um, and obviously, even though that was undone, as you said, on Sunday. Uh, and yeah, just another brilliant weekend. Just what, but this, by this point, it was just expected. It was like, yeah, there you go. There's another brilliant race. It was, uh, yeah, two brilliant races. Yeah, certainly for for all of the the controversy with uh, reliability and and uh, drivers' uh, conduct in various places as well, we we cannot deny the fact that the racing itself was absolutely peak Formula Two, as in absolutely fantastic, and we we far far thoroughly enjoyed um, you know, having so much brilliant action to talk about. I, I think at the end of the day, 
Um, it doesn't make doing the race reports particularly fun, but um, uh, there is that. So let's talk about Carlin, um, who finished third, 272 points. And the first time that they've really fought for a championship since, uh, since Lando Norris uh, a couple of years ago. Um, 200 points for, for Yugi Tsunoda. Uh, with three race wins and 72 for Jihan Daravala, who took one win and he came on really, really strong after a late season engine change, it turned out. Um, with Sonoda, he was incredibly good in a lot of events and he definitely showcased a lot of F1 potential. Um, I still am umming and ahhing between whether it's a little bit too early for him, but given it's Red Bull, I mean, we can't be too surprised. Um, but he will be with Alpha Tauri next season. I think based on the season and the progress that he's made since the start of 2019, when he first you know, moved to Europe, um, I think it's absolutely outstanding uh, the way that he's conducted himself and the, the amount that he's had to, to learn and apply on the track and the different cultures and, and everything else that he's had to to adapt to. I think he's been absolutely outstanding um, in the in the two years that he's been here. Um, with, with Daravala, um, once he did get going um, at Bahrain, he was absolutely flying, I thought. And um, it was Elliot's pick for, for champion this year. It didn't quite work out. Um, but if he returns next year, um, I, I certainly think that he can turn out to be to be a major threat uh, for, for the championship next year. Yeah, definitely. We could see him back. He did have a, he had a, a decent rookie year. Unfortunately, he was partnered alongside a, a, a megastar really in, in Sonoda, who wasn't really able to shine in, in comparison. Yeah, Sonoda was absolutely brilliant all year. Like you said, showed fantastic adaptability to, to come to Europe at the start of 2019 and then to leave with a Formula One seat at the end of 2020. It's, it's incredible, really. Um, I think he thoroughly deserves the graduation. Again, like you, I was very mixed throughout the season. You know, should he, is he ready? But now I'm, I'm fully convinced, really. And I think he's, you know, Pierre Gasly should be quite worried, to be honest. Even after a brilliant 2020, he's got a really fast teammate next year. And that Alpha Towery, I think, will accommodate Sonoda quite well. You know, it's not the, the hardest car to drive on the, on the grid. Like, it's not like the Red Bull. It seems to be, you know, fairly sort of good for a rookie coming in. So I'm expecting big things from Sonoda in Formula One. In Formula 2, yeah, he was absolutely brilliant this year. Like we said, right at the start of the season, um, not the best way to start a season. But after that, he really pushed on, you know, fantastic drives in the wet in Austria. Um, obviously, he won in Silverstone slightly fortuitously, um, but won brilliantly in Spa, really took hold of that race lead, really held his own against some, you know, very, very tough defending from Mazepan there. Um, and was brilliant throughout the year. Only finished 15 points off the championship and I think very much could have won it. Things would have turned out differently. I won't um, get ahead of myself too much, but we'll come on to talk about Ilot and Schumacher in the two Bahrain rounds. Really had Sonoda had just a little bit more luck beforehand. I think he really could have come in and, and clinched this, this championship. Maybe slightly similar to Paul Chair in, in Formula 3. Um, really, really good stuff from Sonoda. Um, yeah, let's see what we can do next year. I'm very, very excited. Yeah, and uh, I know Trevor Carlin said in an interview with Sky Sports that Sonoda is the next Takuma Sato, and I think any time that we can mention Takuma Sato... In it's better than Sato. <laughs> no, no, you know, no offence to Sato. Very, very good driver, but I think Sonoda's got even more potential. Well, 
I'd have here first, so you better perform well next year, otherwise uh, you're going to look a little bit silly, Josh. But um, yeah. anyway, let's move on to, to Sochi, um, everyone's favourite circuit. Um, but <laughs> I missed this round because I was busy getting cold at Brands Hatch. Um, so I left you to do a lot of the, the talking and, the, and all of that stuff. Um, but there were some driver changes as... Lacey left HWA and he was replaced by, by Jake Hughes, who, of course, had just finished his, his Formula 3 camp or final Formula 3 campaign. Um, whilst Lacey replaced Matthew Sheeter at MP. Um, and in the, in the feature race, it was Schumacher who won with a charging drive, um, which we've become a, quite accustomed to now. Um, but he compromised Schwartzman with the timing of his own pit stop um, due to a safety car um, being deployed i believe um schwartzman then dropped out of the points um while pulse sonoda uh took second ahead of uh, ahead of ilot um there was a frightening crash in the in the sprint race um and it was a much overdue maiden victory for for guanyu joe um, a driver who we haven't really spoken too much about uh recently and i think that sets the tone for for his season um whilst Mazepin was second at his home event ahead of Schumacher, who took a 10th podium of the year. Um, somewhat amusingly, the two drivers who caused the red flag, Jack Aitken and Luca Giotto, finished fourth and fifth respectively um, due, to the, <laughs> due to the regulations and, and count back or roll back and, and, and so forth. Um, both drivers were totally blameless because uh, I think it was Aitken had a, had a puncture and just slammed into, into Giotto when he lost control of his car. Um, after this event, uh, Porsche, who, who we've mentioned already, uh, replaced uh, Hughes, who only did the, the one round, um, and Galel returned from, from his injury in the two-month off-season, um, which was absolutely crazy. But let's talk a little bit about, well, I'll, I'll leave you to talk a little bit about Sochi because I basically missed the entire weekend. Um, but it does seem like it was one of those uh, probably Schumacher's strongest weekend, really, when, when you think about it. Yeah, easily his most convincing because Monza, you could argue, you know, was a bit fortuitous with other people's mistakes. Sochi, absolutely no doubt, he was the, the fastest driver on Saturday, absolutely deserved the win uh, and was pretty incredible. And y- y- we saw this and, you know, I think people were calling for his F1 graduation then. Um, very much could have had it in those two months. Perhaps was hurt by that two-month break. I think he had such good momentum coming out of the Sochi weekend. Would have probably preferred to finish the season, you know, uh, well, either then or, or with those Bahrain rounds being a, a lot closer. So, yeah, easy is most convincing when I think Eilat was almost a bit shocked or sort of, you know, what more can I do? Um, because Schumacher was just so convincing that weekend. Um, on the Sunday, um, you had obviously the, the big crash you mentioned and it did give Joe his first win. Um, but I always felt, or at least watching that race, that Mazepin probably should have won it. Or if the race would have carried on, Joe might not have won. And I don't want to take that away from Joe's uh, performance, but I think we saw a lot better from him throughout the year, even though this is a race he won. I think this is not his best drive. Um, I think there are, there are the better ones. And like you said, not the best track, but uh, an important weekend in the championship nonetheless. And looking back, like you say, Schumacher's strongest and arguably um, won him the title. Mm, yeah, certainly. Um, but let's talk about Virtuosi, uh, who finished second in the championship in the end. Uh, 352.5 points. Uh, with 151.5 of those going for, for Joe with that one win and 201 of those points coming from Ilot who took three wins. Um, I think it's safe to say that Virtuosi had all of the pace in the world yet they didn't deliver two titles. 
Um, Joe definitely could have done with an early earlier win, I think. Um, whilst I, I think the championship just went slipping and slipping and slipping away from him. Um, and as mentioned before, he just did not punish Schumacher um, at the points where he absolutely needed to. Um, but there, were, there was an interesting quote that came out from Eilat uh, fairly recently where he said that on balance, um, Prema and Virtuosi were probably equal in terms of their performance this year. So do you think that where Virtuosi lacked uh, were the areas where Prema were, were stronger? And do you think what Prema lacked in, in outright pace, you have to remember they didn't take a single front row start, uh, in qualifying this year, I believe, um, what they made up for was, was in tire preservation and executing races better, uh, better pit stops, things like that. Yeah, definitely. I think it was Premier's philosophy seemed to be the the winning one, at least you know when it came down to it. But only by very very fine margins. Obviously, points are scored in the race, but they are also scored in qualifying for one or two. And Ilot did pick up quite a lot from just getting pole positions. And obviously, it did put him in good positions. And had a few different things gone well, but he could have easily, you know, won the championship and, and so could Virtuosi. So I don't think one sort of philosophy or one team is, is better. I think both of them were, were very evenly matched, just in very different, strong in very different areas, like you said. So, yeah, as a, as a season as a whole, really strong from Virtuosi. We saw this last year with Joe and, and Giotto. They had really good pace, but again, just not a title to show for it. So I think they will be disappointed to not walk away with at least one of the championships because they certainly had the pace to do so, especially when Premier, like you say, were nowhere near the front row, or at least Schumacher wasn't. Um, and Virtuosi got all these poor positions, but unfortunately, the year was too crazy. Formula 2 was too good this year for Virtuosi. They wanted a boring year, a more straightforward year, harder to overtake, less variation in the tyres, you know, less variation in the strategy. We'll turn safety cars off if it was the F1 game. That's what they'd do. Um, and unfortunately, the year was too crazy for them, and and that's ultimately, I think, where they lost the the, the, the championship. It wasn't straightforward enough. Um, it was too bonkers. And that, and that got the best of Eilat and it got the best of Joe on a number of occasions. Like I said, he got that win. But otherwise, for him at least, it was, I think, very disappointing. There's no other way to put it for Joe, unfortunately. Mm, yeah, certainly. And I think that kind of reflects what we've seen within a lot of championships this year as well. In the, like, some of it has just been a little bit too crazy for for it to be too straightforward uh, in, in taking championships. Um, and I think that the sort of thing that we tend to see in, in IndyCar on a, on a regular basis, it's not always the, the quickest driver who, who comes through and, and takes a victory. Usually it's Scott Dixon who doesn't take a pole position at all throughout the year, just quietly, stealthily picks up points and then, oh, it's champion. Uh, you know, things like that. So I do think that it, obviously motorsport is about being the fastest, but it's about being the fastest over a race distance, over a championship, things like that. So going through and taking as many poles and fastest laps as you can in the world, uh, despite them giving uh, four and two points for them respectively, that's not worth a huge amount at the end of the day. At the end of the day, it's the points in the races that matter the most. And I, I think we saw that. And I think the way that we'll talk about them more in detail later, but I think the way that Premier... Um, managed this um, was absolutely sensational. Um, but let's talk about Bahrain now, because we had the, the two-month gap, which was a personal bit of relief, because I found myself inundated with, with, with other things away from, 
from Formula Two uh, in that period, and I'm sure you did as well, Josh. Um, so it's not nice to have a little bit of a break, really, and just sort of to digest it all. But I think it went on for a little bit too long. Um, but coming in, into the, the Bahrain, round nine drivers were still in contention uh, with Schumacher on 191, Eilat on 169. Um, and, and, but realistically, only, only six drivers were really in the frame with Sonoda on 147, Lungard on 145, uh, Schwarzman and Mazepin both on 140. Um, but as we became sort of accustomed to so many times this year, I locked at pole. Um, it was probably one of his most crushing poles of the season. Um, it was the sixth pole in Formula Two uh, when you count the the one at ones of last year as well. Um, and a critical mistake from Sonoda um, on on a weekend really where Carlin was the team to beat um, and had all of the pace in the world um, as they showed in preseason testing at the same venue. Um, uh, Sonoda spun, started last, um, but in the race, uh, Felipe Drogovic was absolutely mighty and was uh, subsequently praised by, by Eilat, who believes that Formula One teams should really be seriously looking at them uh, going forward. Um, and fittingly, Drogovic will be the, the one replacing Eilat at Virtuosi next year. Um, Eilat took second, uh, whilst Darivala resisted Schumacher uh, to take uh, the podium or well, round out the podium um, while well, Sonoda carved his way uh, from, from last on the grid to, to finish a fine sixth. In the sprint race, Schwartzman converted reverse grid pole to take his fourth win of the season, uh, which would turn out to be more than anybody else um, ahead, of, ahead of Mazepin, whilst Delatraz took another podium with third. Um, at this point, Delatraz admitted that this season would probably be his last in Formula 2, yet we know that that might not necessarily be the case. Um, while Sonoda uh, had, his, had more issues as he had a puncture early in the race after contact with, with Armstrong, who had a, a, a very strong weekend by, by his recent F2 standards. Eilat, meanwhile, clattered into Daravala, um, whilst battling with Schumacher, and Schumacher came home only in seventh. So looking back on Bahrain one, um, certainly some missed opportunities for, for Carlin, but also perhaps some missed opportunities for, for Eilat as well on a weekend where Schumacher was uh, not at the performance he needed to, to be at. Yeah, definitely. I mean, looking back, obviously at the time, it looked like it was Eilat who had missed his opportunity. Looking back, I mean, it's probably Sonoda, to be honest. Has he, uh, you know, got pole position um, like he probably would have done, uh, won the race? <clears throat> he would have won the championship. Simple as. So, um, yeah, it's, it's quite odd to, to look back at that. Obviously, it was a big mistake for my lot uh, on, the, on the Sunday. Um, and really, you know, had he not done that, perhaps we would have got a better result. But I don't think it would have actually changed the outcome of the championship. I think earlier on, his mistakes were, were more costly. This one was bad, especially in the nature. Like, there was no doubt that it was, it was his error. But I mean, it, it was probably worse than it really looked. You know, Schumacher had a mistake and uh, up ahead, Eilat was kind of responding to that and, and made a, a much bigger error. So uh, yeah, I don't think this is one he's going to be reliving as much as some of the ones earlier in the season. Overall, it was it was more of a big mos- missed opportunity for Sonoda. But I guess in the end, it doesn't really matter. You know, he's got his F1 drive uh, and Eilat hasn't, unfortunately. So uh, yeah, Sonoda probably won't, won't mind too much. And just quickly, obviously, Dragovic as well. Absolutely fantastic on the feature race. Um, you know, had he not been there, obviously Eilat would have won the feature race and maybe it would have uh, all turned out differently, but uh, it didn't. Uh, and Drogovic drove brilliantly all season and this was like a, a good reward for, 
for all his uh, brilliant work uh, this year. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about Prima, who took the team's championship. 392 points uh, this year, 215 of which for Schumacher with two wins, 177 for Schwarzman with four wins. Um, back on top after a couple of tricky years, uh, certainly, um, by, by their absolutely meteoric standards. Um, they're two very, very effective drivers. And looking ahead to 2021, like, they've got the two most recent Formula 3 champions on their books. So they're going to enter uh, with some incredibly high standards, uh, by, by, well, even by, by their own standards, really. Um, so, and in addition to that, they, they did uh, the double in four different championships this year on four different levels, which is absolutely crazy. Uh, teams and drivers champion in Italian Formula 4, in Formula Regional European, in FIA Formula 3, and in FIA Formula 2. So that is absolutely <laughs> incredible to, to, to look at, really, um, thinking back. So how do you, how do you look back at Prima uh, in, in 2020 in, in general and especially in Formula 2? Yeah, fantastic, really. You know, they didn't have the qualifying pace this year. That didn't seem to matter at all. Like you said, absolutely fantastic in the races. You know, Schwartzman and Schumacher, a brilliant lineup, complemented each other. Uh, well, complemented each other, perhaps not the right word. But, um, you know, they both had their own strengths, basically, which meant that nearly always one of them was was up at the front um, doing a really good job. They had the strengths in sort of different areas, both brilliant races. And overall, like you said, a really good, you know, year for Prima, fully back to the top after... Look at that 2019, obviously they were like ninth, weren't they, out of 10 teams, absolutely nowhere. And this year they've, they've really turned it around um, with, you know, I think, more wins than anyone else. Obviously with Schwartzman getting all those wins, probably more podiums, I'm going to guess, just because of Schumacher's, you know, huge amount as well. Um, so yeah, a really, really strong year. And I think just operationally as well, they were usually pretty on it with strategy. There's maybe a couple of slow pit stops, obviously um, a bit of an error as well with the, the Sochi, Schumacher, Schwartzman. Um, but other than that, like I think operationally, they seem to just be a little bit more on it than some of the other teams as well. And I guess that's what you expect from a team that, as you said, has done this amazing uh, achievement this year in pretty much winning everything they've entered. So, uh, yeah, full, fully credit to them. It's almost what you expect from them now, but even by their own standards, they've absolutely just smashed it this year. Yeah, uh, even a global global uh, situation such as the one we, we continue to find ourselves in uh, hasn't put, uh, you know, Prima uh, at a stop. If anything, they've proven themselves to be the team to, to be with uh, in, in, the, in the situation where, where something does like this arise. Um, but let's go into the, the final round now. Um, 14 points separated the, the two major championship contenders, Schumacher and Eilat. Well, Sonota, Schwartzman and Mazepin all needed perfect weekends just to even really be in with a shout of, of taking the title. Um, so we, we've pretty much written them off uh, at this point and it was just a straight fight between the two of them. Um, the venue, Bahrain's outer circuit, which was not used very much anyway. And it turns out there were some quite nasty bumps um, around it, especially at, turn, at the fast right-hander turn six, uh, which caught a lot of drivers out. But um, it was described as NASCAR-like, and the racing uh, ten, did tend to sort of imply that as well, with with long queues and uh, what we what we call DRS trains now. Um, and the racing, I thought, was absolutely brilliant. Um, Ralph Boschong was back, um, replacing Aitken, who in turn replaced 
George Russell at Williams, who in turn replaced with Hamilton at Mercedes after you know what. Um, and we also had uh, Schumacher and Mazepin being announced as Formula One drivers coming into the finale as well. So the, the pressure on, on Schumacher was, was taken off a little bit in, in that regard. Um, absolute demolition of the opposition by Carlin. Um, absolutely insane. Um, Schumacher crashed with Nassani um, in qualifying, which is sort of something that you don't really tend, well, you didn't expect to hear 15 years ago, definitely. Um, but I digress slightly. Um, Schumacher only qualified 18th, um, but recovered the seventh in what he referred to as his standout moment of the year. Um, and it was Sonoda who absolutely crushed the, the opposition from from Joe uh, and Drogovic. Um, I lot only finished just ahead of Schumacher, but because Schumacher had taken the fastest lap points, both scored equally. So it's still 14 points coming into the end with 17 on the table. So I lot had everything to do in the sprint race, but it just was not enough. He was able to, to battle with Schumacher, but Schumacher was um, very decisive, but fair with his tactics um, in combat. Um, and at the end of the day, Eilat was not able to, to, to punish Schumacher when, when Schumacher was well, put in probably his worst, worst race of the year, um, finishing down in 18th after, after totally destroying his tyres and making a pit stop. But it was Daravala who came out on top of a fantastic battle for the win with, with Tictum. And Sonoda punished Tictum right at the end of the as well to take the, the best overall weekend performance of the year with, with second. Um, so let's look back on the, on the title decider. And that was crazy, wasn't it? Yeah, similar to Formula 3 in the respect that both championship contenders screwed it up a little bit across the, the two deciding weekends. I don't know if it's a pressure thing or, or what, but it just seemed to, yeah, just really get to kind of both of them. Both of them made big errors, uh, like I say, across the two weekends. I think by this point, at least certainly after the feature race, you know, it was too too big a mountain to climb for Ilo. I don't think he was ever really going to be able to to overhaul it. Um, certainly after qualifying on Saturday, I perhaps thought, you know, maybe he could do it. Um, but then in the race, when we saw Schumacher's comeback and Ilo not really making progress, um, you know, I think it was pretty much sealed then it would, in the sprint race. I think it'd been too much to ask for 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 Ilot to win it. So uh, yeah, uh, an interesting end to the season. These these two drivers that have been so strong throughout the year were really reduced to the sideshow to a, a brilliant scrap in both the feature and sprint race, which obviously was sort of dominated more by the sort of you know uh, Nikita Mazepin, um, Schwartzman, obviously Sonoda, obviously just absolutely destroying everyone as well. So uh, Daravala, of course, getting a much deserved win. So. Yeah, it was weird. They were like, like I say, the, the sideshow or the, the undercard for, for a brilliant uh, end to the season. And uh, yeah, I don't know. What did you think of the title decider in terms of living up to expectations? We had this whole building up, a big crescendo um, all season long of this huge title fight. Do you think it lived up to uh, expectations? Well, I wrote the report and it was probably the most difficult race report I've ever had to write, um, not least because a Sh a Schumacher was going to be crown champion and because of just everything that was going on out front. Um, so to get that report out quickly and uh, as effectively as possible, it's not easy, let's put it that way. Um, I think it was absolutely fitting place to, to have a, a decider and, and such a bizarre and momentous year. Um, 
I would say I'm a little bit disappointed in the, the two title contenders' performances, but I think that saying that is a little bit harsh, considering that you know how how hard they had to fight, um, not necessarily on track, but um, in terms of the championship throughout the year. Um, and you're going to have a, a weekend. You're going to have a performance like that every now and then. And it just turns out that that both uh, decided to put it in at that point when the pressure was at its highest. Um, I think Schumacher is a, a fitting champion. Um, certainly deserved it for the way, the methodical way that he approached the the year. Um, but when when you do look deeper, you do see statistics like Sonoda scored more points than anyone else in feature races, and how um, Ilot was without question the the quickest driver of the year as well. Um, so I think all of these drivers, like right at the top, can really help hold their heads up high. Uh, for the way that they've uh, performed this year. I was relieved and a little bit... I, I had no sort of uh, concerns anyway, but I was relieved that the, the two drivers conduct... You know, the two title contenders conducted themselves well in terms of fairness um, on on the track. Um, they didn't do anything silly like clatter into each other. Um, you know, something like that. We don't want to see championships decided that way. Um so I think overall, like the, the decider and how the the championship played out was was very very good. Um, if that fight for the lead was for the championship as well, I think that would have been better. But we can't expect uh, too much, um, especially after the, the brilliant season that we've had with with, with Formula Two. Um, so I, I think that's a good way to to sort of, to to round that section off. Um, but we have got a top 10 to, to discuss. Well, let's say discuss. We've already got the list uh, done and dusted already. Um, a little bit different to how we did it with the Formula 3 one. Uh, we've asked all of the, the Formula Scout contributors to, to give their, their, their personal top 10. And then we've crunched some numbers in an algorithm machine and we've got a top 10. Um, but we'll start with a couple of honorable mentions. And that's Yuri Vips and Luca Giotto, who were both nominated um, for, for spots on the top 10 but missed out um, so I think Josh do you think it's fair that they get a, an honourable honorable mention but don't quite squeeze into the top 10 yeah definitely Vips was you know really good solid on his debut um, he's going to be really really strong next year we'll see a lot more from him Giotto was absolutely brilliant on certain weekends you know it really reminded us of you know just why he's been one of the top drivers over the past few years in the championship has never really worked out for him should have won the GP3 championship you know, should have maybe got a bit more success um, over the past few years. But it is what it is. So, yeah, really solid season from him and from Vips and, you know, other people as well. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. So let's move on to the top 10 itself. Um, we'll start with Louis Delatraz. Um, obviously took several podiums, really, really impressed at times with Chevrous, uh, a team that we didn't necessarily expect a huge amount from uh, this year. It was totally on top of uh, Pedro Piquet, his teammate as well. Um, but a lack of win, a lack of particularly strong uh, performances in, in qualifying, um, certainly I, I think justifies him squeezing into the top 10, but being no higher. Yeah, I think it's the first time he's appeared on our top 10 list over the past four years he's been in Formula 2 or GP2. Um, and I think it's richly deserved, you know, one of the best races in the field, fantastic race craft, some brilliant overtakes this year. But like you said, maybe a little bit let down by his one that pace. PK did manage to even up a little bit towards the end of the year. Um, but yeah, other than that, really, really strong drives and uh, brilliant elsewhere as well, um, outside of Formula 2. Mm -hmm. In number nine, we've got Guan Yu Zhou, 
who obviously took a win at, at Sochi, um, had the pace to win at uh, Austria as well. Um, but I think having all of the pace in the world, but effectively going missing for half of the year, um, justifies him only being ninth and, and no higher. Um, really should have been a lot more effective, um, especially on the weekends where, where Ilot made mistakes and, and simply wasn't there at the end of the day. Yeah, incredible to think this was the driver who, you know, was the preseason favourite and also one who followed that up properly in the first race. Um, and then all just went away from him, really. His, he was struggled to put everything together, you know. Always something seemed to be lacking. Even his pace at some certain time seemed to, to go amiss. So uh, a shame for Joe. Um, but let's see next year. I presume he's going to be back again. And uh, maybe it'll be third time lucky. Mm-hmm. I think it'll be... Um... Last chance saloon for for Joe next year. Uh, if so, in eighth we've got Mazepin. Um, I don't think the this position isn't defined by his off track activities, if you will, um, but more defined by um, the fact that whilst he was very very strong in in the races at times, um, his his aggression on the circuit overset the mark a few times. Uh, I think for a lot of us um, uh, to be uh, to warrant him being placed any any higher uh lack of uh, strong qualifying results at times as well and uh, i do think that generally just a much much improved second year as a whole but not um not necessarily one that particularly stands out and i think that there are drivers higher up on this list who i think uh, perform better with either lesser machinery or with much less experience yeah, he'd be last if this was on a off-track <laughs> conduct. But um, yeah, he's, he takes the a place in the number uh, in the top ten. I think you know deservedly so because it it was a solid year, really good drives, especially you know his wins at Silverstone and Mugello were were, were very very good. And uh, he took defensive driving right to the limit, and I think you know over the limit. But I think he sort of seemed to get away with it for the most part. Very lucky to not get. Uh, this ban and I believe moving forward it won't actually make any difference like when he goes into Formula 1 these 11 penalty points whatever from F2 won't mean anything and he hasn't changed his driving style at all (laughs) as we saw from the final round so I guess what we're going to see in Formula 1 is much of the same driver that we saw uh, throughout this year yeah certainly Um, in 7th we've got another driver who has come under fire for for various things throughout the year and that's Dan Tictum who perhaps uh, to some people might be a surprising addition to this list, but he was incredibly effective in, in sprint races um, on weekends where, where Dams didn't necessarily have the outright pace, uh, was unlucky to not win more than once um, with, the, with the fuel issue in Monza. And I think generally just had a, a very quietly effective campaign. Um, and was able to to really extract the most from from the dams package a lot of times, especially uh, as mentioned that weekends where where dams just weren't up to to the sort of standard that we've become accustomed to over recent years. Yeah, I wouldn't say it was a, a quiet year. <laughs> there isn't one. I know what you mean. He's been very impressive in uh, in ways that can't always be seen through the the results and and on the TV. And people, you know, say or tell him to change his approach, get his head down just focus on his driving, but that's just not him. And it, he wouldn't be him um, if he did that and wouldn't have this, this pace that he does. So yeah, very, very impressive. Unfortunately, the frustration did get to him, I think at times, but um, you know, very, very strong. Difficult to judge him with not a strong barometer alongside him, but when Vips was thrown in, I think Tiktum held his own um, very well. 
and we'll see what he can do next year at Carlin. Could be uh, quite a formidable force. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not just having a, a strong barometer, having a, a very unreliable barometer in terms of the, the car mm. uh, reliability as well. In sixth place, we've got Christian Lungard, who at times I thought was absolutely sensational um, to extract uh, performances out of the, the RT package that simply didn't seem feasible. Um, obviously took a couple of wins absolutely fantastically, took a couple of really, really strong qualifying performances as well. Um, seemed a little bit at sea um, at times, uh, some of the, the lower speed circuits, um, but I think that was more down to the, the ART package more than anything in the simply crushed uh, the, the, the highly rated Marcus Armstrong in, in the other car. Um, for me, he, he's a driver who, I, I said at the start of the year, this is the year that, that Lungard really starts to come onto the, the F1 radar. Um, and I, I think he's done that uh, this year. Um, obviously, he's missed out on a Formula 1 drive, but uh, in the future, who knows, um, especially if Esteban Ocon doesn't perform the standard next year. Yeah, definitely. So we've got Piastri, haven't we, coming in next year to, to Formula 2. So another runner junior. Um, but Lungard set himself up very well to, to lead the, the Renault charge next year. He's stamped his authority over Joe in terms of the Renault stable, I think it's fair to say. He is the sort of, you know, next in line now, thanks to a really, really solid year. If we did a live ranking the season, I think he would be probably number one sometimes, then drop outside of the top 10 and so on. So very, very up and down. But I feel like those, uh, those lows will be ironed out for his second year and he'll, uh, he'll come on pretty strong. Mm-hmm. In fifth, we've got Felipe Drogovic, who uh, won several times this year and uh, took polls several times this year as well uh, with a package that, that seemed to be really nowhere uh, last year. Um, MP almost became a little bit of, little bit of a joke uh, last year with especially one of the drivers occupying one of the seats, um, let's put it that way. But I, I certainly think that, that Drogovic was, was absolutely brilliant this year, especially after such a difficult um FIA F3 campaign last year he showed the form that he um showed uh, back in 2018 when he utterly decimated the the Euro Formula uh opposition there and I, I think that I, I totally agree with Callum Eilot F1 teams really need to be looking at, at Drogovic now um not just uh, is a fairly well-backed driver he's a very quick driver he's a very likable driver um, I certainly think the Formula One could do with a better rep or more rep, more representation within Brazil. He's Brazilian, obviously Pietro Fittipaldi exists, but um, I very highly doubt he'll be uh, racing in Formula One next year um, at all. But uh, I do think that, that Djokovic was, was perhaps uh, one of the stars of the season that we didn't necessarily expect to, to really be there. Yeah, definitely, because obviously everyone knows he's very talented from his, you know, Days in uh, in Formula Four and stuff, and obviously the way he won the, the Euro Formula Open Championship. But I don't think, like you said, we, we didn't expect him to be this strong this year, just with the package that he had. But like I say, MP as well did a really good job. Credit to them as well. Uh, but yeah, Dragovic was brilliant, and I think will be. I think I've said this about twenty drivers now, but will be one of the, the title favourites for next year, especially with the package that he's inheriting. Um, you know, next year again, he just needs a more consistent year next year. But I'm sure that will come with experience. Uh, yeah, a really really good rookie year. Mm-hmm. In fourth, we've got Robert Schwartzman, last year's FIA Formula 3 champion. Um, very much expected to be racing in, in Formula 2 next year and won the most races um, out of anybody with four. 
Um, as was discussed before, some of those came in somewhat fortuitous circumstances. Um, but at the end of the day, Schwarzman was the one there to pounce um, when when others faltered. Um, I do think that sometimes he was a little bit unlucky in qualifying. Sometimes he was just like just not there in qualifying, and I think that that really defined uh, much of the the second half of this season. Um, I think if we'd done this ranking based on the first half of the year, then Schwarzman would be clear number one, but it just did not happen for him in, in the latter half of the year. Obviously he came back strong in Bahrain, but it, it just didn't quite happen um, at, at the points where it really needed to happen. Obviously he had that mechanical problem with Jello, uh, recovered brilliantly to finish just out, painfully outside of the points. Um, but I don't think it's totally clear cut that Schwartzman is the title favourite, the absolute standout title favourite for next year, um, given the potential that so many other drivers uh, down down the order have shown and because some of Schwartzman's wins were, were to be frank, very, very lucky. Yeah, yeah, in a way it's it's um, very difficult to judge. I think that's what kind of flattered his first half of the year perhaps was these um, slightly fortuitous wins. But I mean, the way he won them was absolutely brilliantly uh, brilliant. You know, perhaps the the second Red Bull wing, Red Bull Ring weekend sums up his season perfectly. And the fact that he won the feature race and then the sprint race, he just spun out in turn one. It was very sort of mixed bag. Um, but the highs were were very high, and I think much better than Schumacher in terms of the highs. He he managed to reach higher peaks than his teammate, but unfortunately, he had a lot more you know lower peaks and and mistakes in the race. Unfortunately. Mm-hmm. In third place, we've got Callum Eilat who I think some people will find this a slightly harsh uh, judgment, but I think it's entirely fair on the basis that he had all of the speed in the world and he was able to to deliver it in qualifying, but there were just too many mistakes at the end of the day and too many weekends where he was not able to punish um, Schumacher. And I, I do think that, you know, whilst he was able to, to pounce and, and take victory, especially that brilliant one at Silverstone, um, the, the feature race, which he just commanded from the front. Um, there was the opportunity to have so much more at the end of the day, but he just did not perform to the, the same sort of standard that he needed to, to, to really assert himself as uh, the absolute, absolute championship favourite when it counted. Yeah, definitely. He had you know, stunning pace, and it was arguably even better than what the Freeze had last year arguably better than even what Russell had in, in 2018. You know, it was it was pretty incredible, his sort of pace advantage. But like you say, it just wasn't able to convert it into the victories when it mattered. Um, very rarely made any mistakes in qualifying. But unfortunately, that didn't really matter too much because unfortunately he made a few big ones in the race, um, which were very costly. And, and the timing of those was was very bad. So, uh, yeah, uh, and un- yeah, definitely unlucky in some parts. And I hope that a year on the sidelines next year um, leads to a seat in, in 2022 because I think he deserves it on the basis of this year, especially if we say, you know, three drivers from this year should graduate. You've got to say it needs to be Schumacher, Sonoda, and the third one I think really should have been Eilat. So, uh, yeah, a, a solid, solid year. I think one that he still has a very bright future ahead of him because he was absolutely blindingly quick this year and in many places the uh, the most impressive driver. Yeah, certainly. I, th- I think if if he's able to to really iron out those mistakes and we saw glimpses of it this year definitely we've seen glimpses of it every year over over the past few years but once he's able to to really iron out those 
those small mistakes, small but significant mistakes, then you're going to have an absolutely top drawer uh, driver, I, I think, in, in Callum Eilat. And one who I think would, would suit Formula One very well in terms of his personality uh, and, and like, like, likenessness, if that makes sense, um, uh, and so forth. Um, but that moves on to number two. And it's our champion, Mick Schumacher. Um, this might seem a harsh one as well, considering that he did win the championship. But uh, there was one other driver who who stood out just that little bit more uh, for us. I think um, the lack of performance occasionally in qualifying uh, grades Schumacher down a little bit. The fact that he's in his second year, whilst very harsh, is something that goes against Schumacher as well. Um, and there were a, a few weekends where, where Schumacher's performances just weren't quite up to up to scratch. And I think, um, you know, being being usurped by Schwartzman in the early stages of the of the season, especially, um, is what gives them the, the number two spot. Although there is certainly an argument, and it, it did it was sort of like it was very very close between between Schumacher and our number one choice um, over this top spot at the end of the day. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, there's not much separating Samira and, uh, and Schumacher, so <laughs> it's very hard to pick between them. No. Um, yeah, you can definitely argue it both ways. For example, the, the starts, for example, uh, you can say Schumacher gained an awful lot of points just from having good starts. You know, is that down to him? Is that down to the team? Is that down to a combination of both? Or is actually, if you look at races like the first Bahrain race, where he dives it down the inside of turn one, has brilliant spatial awareness and gains a whole heap of positions. You know, that's on him. That's his driving ability and his awareness and his confidence in the car. I think it's what we really saw this year. He looked very sheepish last year. He looked a bit lost, looked a bit unsure. He had bad luck pretty much every single weekend. You know, this week, this year, he seemed assured. He seemed like he really formed the championship picture in his mind. And he was just taking it in a very Schwarzman-esque manner, actually, from last year. Um, and it seemed to pay off, you know, very, very nicely for him. He did crumble a little bit at the end, which I think does uh, knock him down a little bit as well. And did have, like you say, Craig, a few, you know, poor weekends. Um, but ultimately, he had a lot of bad luck as well. The fire extinguisher in uh, at the Red Bull ring. Obviously, in Hungary, where he didn't, it wasn't on the right strategy and probably would have won if he was on the right one. And numerous of occasions as well, which you can point to. So, uh, yeah, and a, a truly deserving champion, I'd say. But not quite, in our opinion, the, uh, the best driver of the year. Yes, because Ralph Boschong is our number. No, um, it's Yuki Tsunoda, who took top rookie this year, uh, took the Antoine Hubert Award with it, um, which is a, an award uh, awarded to the, to the top, the highest placed rookie in the championship. Um, missed out on second place in the championship by just one point. Um, he was also awarded the, the Pirelli Award uh, for being the, the best on their tyres, which was voted for by the Formula 2 media. Um, including including Formula Scout, um, and finished third in the championship in a rookie campaign in just his second year in Europe. Um, and the the way how Sonoda has has graduated through or graduated up the ranks, you know, going from from Formula Four to Formula Three to Formula Two to Formula One, all in successive years, um, that is exactly what the what the FI hope to get from the, the junior single seater ladder, I think. And I think the investment that Red Bull and Honda have put into uh, this brilliant young driver um, 
who I still have a few reservations about with in terms of Formula One credentials over his sort of like his technical awareness and uh, the language barrier obviously still exists. Um, but he, he has worked very, very hard on, on getting his, his skills in, in English um, up to scratch, uh, which would be very, very important um, when he races for, for Alpha Tauri next year. He'll probably want to learn a bit of Italian as well. Um, but on the track, he scored more points than anyone else uh, when you take the feature races into account, um, which I think is very telling. Um, there were a few mistakes, such as the one with Darabala at the start of the year and the one at uh, the, the horrible spin that he had at Bahrain as well, um, which took him out of the championship picture altogether. Um, but at the, end of the, at the end of the day, he was given the pretty tough task by Helmut Marco to get a super license, and that's what he did. Um, and I think he did it in, in very fine style. He was unlucky not to win more races than anyone else when you take into into consideration the the one that um he lost at, at hungary uh, at austria sorry um and there are a couple of other occasions where he he was right in the mix as well just picking up those, those points and those podiums um he, he he took a lot of inspiration from hubert and adapted that into his own driving style he's been very vocal about that this year um and i, I think it's very very fitting that he he takes the the number one spot yeah definitely i couldn't think of a better recipient of that you know uh hubert award uh, for this year i think absolutely brilliant and and very well deserved yeah i mean he was absolutely fantastic you know you look at races like the the wet uh, red bull ring race where obviously he had no radio and just drove absolutely brilliantly you look at a race like spa where he really went toe-to-toe with mazepin and, and came out on top um and just so many other occasions where he was just absolutely brilliant his brilliant bahrain that weekend and like I said, just that little thing, if there was not that crash in qualifying, I think we could be talking about Yuki Tsunoda, you know, 2020 Formula 2 champion. Um, but instead, we're talking about Yuki Tsunoda, <clears throat> 2021 Formula 1 driver. And uh, I think that's pretty good um, reward for a great rookie season. And I think we might see him struggle at the start of his F1 career in the first couple of races. But no doubt, he's soon going to reach that really high level and show that incredible learning um, and incredible adaptability that he's shown throughout his F3 career with Jensa last year and also um, obviously this year with Carlin. So uh, yeah, a very, very bright future for a very, very impressive talent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I echo that entirely. Um, I'm very, very intrigued to see what what he's able to, to do in, in Formula 1 next year and the, and the same goes for, for the other drivers next year um, and going into to Formula 2 uh, next year as well is going to be just as crazy, I'm sure. Um, but have you got any final thoughts really on on this uh, this absolutely historic, momentous, crazy, unusual, crazy, very, very crazy uh, Formula 2 season that you want to, to reflect on? Yeah, I mean, just I think the way that the whole um, paddock, just like Formula 1 has conducted itself, you know, you said obviously earlier that the Tictum inconclusive test in Spa was the only... Um, should we say incident um, that occurred this year in terms of uh, said thing. So I thought that was absolutely fantastic, but that was able to happen. And then really across all junior single seats categories, that seemed to be the case as well. But yeah, particularly with, with Formula 2, it, it was brilliant. And getting to see it alongside so many Formula 1 events, especially at the start of the season, having Formula 1 and Formula 2 start on the same weekend, it's absolutely brilliant. 
uh, and all the drivers competed themselves very well. The racing was brilliant. It was absolutely bonkers all year, but not to the point where the championship was invalid or like a lottery or anything like that. It, it was a worthy champion. Schumacher was a worthy champion. And I think that Sonoda and Ilot would have both been worthy champions had they won as well. So, uh, yeah, a fantastic year. A triumph, I think, for Formula 2. A real, another breakout year for them, I think. It's growing in popularity, and rightly so, because there's some huge talents here. All their bright futures in F1. And like you said, next year, going to be just as crazy. Yeah, certainly. Um, I do think that there are, there are things that Formula 2 will look back on this year and think maybe we can do do these things a little bit better. Um, we'll, we'll save discussing next year's like uh, calendar and schedule for, for another podcast. I, I think um, we've certainly got some strong views on, on that. Um, but I, I do think, so this is the first year that, that I think both of us have been as heavily involved with, with covering formula two as, as we have been. And I think that's been absolutely fantastic and a huge thanks to, Formula Two for giving us the the like the the exposure that that we we, we have wanted and needed to, to be able to to give it hopefully uh, the the service that it needs. Um, do think that perhaps some of the races could be a little bit nicer to cover, but um, <laughs> but that, that might be asking a little bit too much if it's going to come at the expense of. Uh, of the of the the racing and the enjoyment um i do think that there are some absolutely brilliant people within within formula 2 um not just the drivers uh, but the the personnel as well um and it's just been an absolute pleasure to to really be be a part of this year especially it being such a, a historic and a momentous year um we 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 try to shy away from you know mentioning surname pressure and so forth but to to cover a schumacher uh winning a championship on a on a grand prix bubble if you will um it's quite a quite a surreal experience i think um i know you're only 12 josh so you you won't know too much about michael's heyday <laughs> but, for, but, for, but for me people came for, for i think people sorry people came for schumacher right this year People saw it was Schumacher. Think I'm going to watch that Formula Two, but they stayed for all the other reasons and for all the other drivers. You know, once they Schumacher might have grabbed their attention of the series, but then they saw there was an awful lot more than just uh, an iconic surname of a driver that obviously, like you say, I was born on the the year of his first championship. So <laughs> yeah, no, with Ferrari, sorry. So yeah, <laughs> don't say that. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah they they came for Schumacher and they stayed for for the racing and the racing is brilliant at the end of the day so why would they would they not have uh, stayed for for the racing and I I don't blame them one bit um and I think that's a as a fitting way to to end this podcast which has probably gone on for for far too long um but that's it for from us uh, for, for Formula Two for this year. Obviously, we'll have more discussion with the the schedule for for next year and the uh, and the, the well the the timetables, if you will. And we've also got the the Formula Scout Top Fifty to to argue over still and to to write up. And obviously, plenty of the the Formula Two drivers will will appear on that list. But um, for now. That is all from us, and we'll be back soon with another Formula Scout podcast. Thank you.